This is a very, very difficult and very important role. And you can imagine that as we begin to approach these conversations um, with regards to church structures, and for us not to have any understanding of the apostolic ministry is to, is to say that there is no one who's actually doing the hard work of, of figuring out where the foundation, how it should be designed, and how it's going to hold up when these inevitable fires hit the foundation. Welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast, where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called A House for Community, where we provide households with personal coaching for how to build a community and turn your home into a hub for community relationships. So if you're interested in learning more about A Thousand Houses or checking out some of our other resources, visit 1kh.org. Let's jump into today's episode. So to begin this segment, let's think for a second about which gift or position described in the New Testament is discussed by title the most and which gift or position, as described by title, is described the least in the New Testament. There's lots of positions in the church described, but some are described a lot or mentioned a lot, and some are described the least. Now, the one that's described the most is the word apostle. Over a hundred times we see this gift described or attributed to somebody in the New Testament, and arguably the title that's at least mentioned but described the least is the word pastor. That is only translated in most translations only one time in the New Testament, and that is in the NIV. I believe it's translated pastor in Ephesians 4. In some translations, that's even translated shepherd. So that is kind of the, the most common title or position described and the least. Now, what's ironic and why we want to start here pointing this out is that that is exactly inverted in the way we talk about positions or giftings within the body of Christ today. In other words, today, which gift or position is most frequently discussed or described by title? Pastor, of course. That's by far the most common position or gift described. We call just about everyone in the church, at least in the Western world, a pastor if they are uh, involved in full-time ministry. <clears throat> which one is the least discussed or described or even understood? I would say that arguably, at least one of them has got to be the word apostle. I've never heard anybody really discuss this gift in modern day as I was growing up in churches, as I've served in churches. And so we need to actually take a step back and we're going to have to talk specifically about this gift. What, what is the apostolic ministry? Because as we begin to talk about what it means to build a kingdom community, it's really important to understand this gift. And because it is so rarely described or discussed in the modern Western church, we need to take a minute and think about this. This is a very critical thing to understand for us to move forward in trying to understand how to think about church practices in particular. Now, one of the things that, one of the reasons why uh, we're going to uncover that this is a rarely discussed or described position uh, or gifting is because there's something about the way the modern church is designed or practices its life that seems to be somewhat threatened by 
the apostolic gift. There's not a seeking out of it. There's not an interest in it. Uh, there's a lot of confusion around it, and it's kind of hidden in a fog uh, within the church. And so we have to kind of dispel some of that and try to understand um, what exactly is going on there. Now, I think that the most helpful passage in the whole New Testament for trying to just understand the gifting, the apostolic gifting, how it works, uh, why it's important, is something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. So in this book, Paul is really wrestling with a church that has seen a number of apostolic workers sort of come and go since he originally planted the church. And so there, these different apostolic workers have, have, because of their ministry in the same church, after Paul left, there began to be factions based on who was following, you know, which, which person who was apostolically gifted. And so Paul decides to make sure that the church understands the nature of this gift. And so he spends a couple of chapters doing that. And I want to talk specifically about how he talks about this gift in 1 Corinthians 3, because this is critical, again, for us to understand. If we begin to talk about changing the way that a lot of church practices are traditionally done. So uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, after he talks about this division that's, that's happening in the church of Corinth, he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." So Paul is using the analogy to understand the apostolic ministry as a foundation-laying architect, somebody who understands the the big picture, somebody who has the blueprint and is able to lay a foundation in Jesus Christ that is is available and uh, set up so that others can come and build upon that foundation. So that was kind of the way he was describing the apostolic ministry. And he's also talking about the responsibility that apostolic workers have. So we know this, of course, in our culture, that if you, uh, if in your city, all of a sudden a building were to collapse and it was a building that uh, had just recently been built, there would be an investigation. And in terms of trying to figure out who is liable, they would begin often by looking at the architect or the blueprints to see if there is some kind of uh, fatal flaw within that blueprint. And if they find a fatal flaw, the, the actual thing that no one else caught that the architect was responsible for, and that through their negligence, they basically laid a really bad foundation, then that architect could be liable for the destruction or the death created by that collapse. And of course, if if the blueprint was solid, but it was the builder who built with really bad materials, then of course, it wouldn't be the architect's fault. They wouldn't be responsible. It would be the builder's fault. And so Paul is saying, look, in the body of Christ, there are various gifts. There are those of us who are laying foundations and creating sort of the environment through which and in which others can come and build. And then there are builders and all of us are held accountable for what we've done. He says that the day is going to come and test the quality of each of our works, the foundation, uh, the building, and this day is likely uh, referring to persecutions. He, he uses the word fire. So fire hits the church um, and the structure might collapse. 
And then we need to go and investigate, like, what, what happened to this church? Like, why did people fall away in the midst of, of hardships or persecutions? And one of the problems could be it could have been the apostolic foundation. He was supposed to lay a foundation in Jesus Christ. Well, maybe he laid a foundation in himself. Maybe he laid a foundation that was not properly uh, orienting the weight of the structure on the things that are most important and so this is, this is a very, very difficult and very important role. And you can imagine that as we begin to approach these conversations um, with regards to church structures, and for us not to have any understanding of the apostolic ministry is to, is to say that there is no one who's actually doing the hard work of, of figuring out where the foundation, how it should be designed, and how it's going to hold up uh, when these inevitable, um, inevitable, fires hit the foundation. One of the uh, statements that's often made in, in the philosophy, world of philosophy is that we are all thinking the thoughts of dead philosophers, but we don't know it. And there's a lot of truth to those ideas. Um, and I would say that a parallel idea is that we are all practicing the traditions of dead apostles, but we don't know it. And so it's important that we actually unveil the, the reality that Every single one of our traditions was created by someone who has done this kind of work, who laid a foundation, and we are really limited to whatever that apostolic ministry has done in terms of how the foundation it was laid, and we can only build on the foundation if there's proper places uh, when we are building um, and trying to construct the full church on the foundation that was originally laid by, by, those, uh, by those apostles. So we're going to talk about how this practically plays out in just a second, but I'd like to take a quick detour because this always surfaces a really important theolog theological question, and that is, are there still apostles today? Is this a gift that has disappeared? Um, and there's a few reasons why a lot of uh, theologians do hold that there is no um, what they call capital A apostles today. A couple of their strongest arguments are, number one, uh, Peter in Acts 1 describes an apostle as somebody who was, has, is, is a witness to the risen Christ. And so you have all 12 apostles, um, or all 11 apostles, having been witness to Christ. Acts 1, they added a 12th apostle. That person had to also witness the, resurrection, the resurrected Christ. Paul, of course, um, got to see the resurrected Christ on his way to Damascus. And so is it possible to have an apostle who has not witnessed the, the resurrected Jesus, because this witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus was actually was an actual core part of what it meant to lay a foundation in Jesus. Um, a second argument uh, is also 2 Corinthians, uh, when Paul was even more upset, the second letter he wrote to the Corinthians about how they were following after other apostles, not really thinking deeply enough about what he had laid initially. Um, he talks about these people as super apostles. This is probably a sarcastic way of, of labeling them. But when he's describing the difference between him and these other uh, super apostolic workers, he says, for the signs of the apostle were performed among you in all perseverance and in signs and wonders and miracles. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul is saying that one of the things that you need to be sort of demanding from these other apostolic workers who are trying to jackhammer into the foundation and change it from what I had originally described is you have to demand from them the same uh, signs of an apostle that I demonstrated to you, signs, wonders, and miracles. And so this is another reason why there is strong arguments for there not being uh, apostles today. Now, I'll tell you uh, a couple of things that, that we believe 
about this, this topic. Number one, uh, there is a clear distinction, and just about every theologian understands this distinction, between what they will often call capital A apostles and the apostolic ministry. So capital A apostles are, are really the people who have the, the authority to, uh, to write the New Testament, to minister and, and really lay the foundations of the earliest church before the New Testament was written. And that there does seem to be a transition that happened after the New Testament was, was finally completed. And when these capital A apostles who had uh, fulfilled these two requirements, they had seen the resurrected Jesus and they were performing uh, with perseverance signs, miracles, and wonders uh, in order to make sure that those who were listening to them had a reason to believe that their witness about the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead, that this was actually true. The way that they were able to convince people um, was partially because of the miracles that they were able to perform. This was God's way of putting a stamp on those capital A apostles, and through that they were also able to write the New Testament. And so it is true that, that, that there are no more capital A apostles, at least not in, not in my opinion. Um, and so because of that change, does that mean that there's no longer an apostolic ministry? And I think that because there are no longer capital A apostles, it is dangerous to go around and call people apostle or use titles like that. And that seemed to really violate the spirit of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 23 anyway. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So it's really important to Jesus that the way that we interact in the church is not according to titles, um, that we don't use these things to create sort of honor where it would create a distinction between that ministry or those gifts and other gifts. We're not trying to create a gift hierarchy in that strict sense. And there's a danger there that we don't consider ourselves first and foremost brothers. But that doesn't negate the fact that there are different gifts and that there are reasons why we still need to have apostolic ministry. And by that, we're not talking about capital A apostles who are, who are, actual, uh, who are actual witnesses to the resurrected of Jesus or are performing signs, wonders, and miracles. We're talking about people who are thinking through the foundation that's being laid in, in our church practices. Now, I'm going to give you guys an example of where Paul was using this kind of apostolic ministry. So he was both uh, laying that foundation through his his understanding or his, his seeing the resurrected Jesus and being a witness to that. And he was also doing the work of an architect. And so we're primarily or really exclusively talking about the architect work. And what we're talking about there is, of course, not removing what it means at the most basic level to be, uh, to be a church. But what we're talking about are the traditions that are a part of what it means to be a church. Paul felt that part of his apostolic ministry was to architect the traditions of the church. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, for example, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And then in verse 2, he says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. And then he goes on to talk about some very specific traditions like head coverings and things like that. So what Paul is saying, and it's really interesting, this word traditions, he was saying, be imitators of me and hold to the traditions that I gave you. This word traditions in Greek is the exact same word that Jesus uses in Mark 7. We talked about that in an earlier video where Jesus was saying, hey, the, there are traditions that you were holding up as higher than the commands of God. And so it's really important as we talked about 
uh, that we are not to hold traditions above, above the commands of God. But now we need to talk about what role do traditions play in the building up of a kingdom community. And we're going to be really talking through a lots of traditions. And these are, these are very important conversations. And it's really the job of those apostolic architects to begin to put forth traditions they feel will actually create a healthy kingdom community that will allow the weight of the structure to be on, on Jesus himself. Uh, and so this is part of what Paul is doing, and he began to lay out the traditions. Now, why is this important? Why should we not just all invent our own traditions? Well, there's a lot of good reasons. Number one, we need to be a body. Like, we have to sync up. We have to be uh, performing the same tradition. If you worship on Friday and I worship on Saturday and somebody else I want to be in community with worships on Sunday, uh, then we're not going to be able to be a body. We're not going to be able to figure out when we're going to gather or how we're going to gather or you know, all the different questions that go into what it means to actually be a body and begin to coordinate and cooperate together. And so in order to do that, we have to agree on traditions. And there then needs to be the question of how do we get those traditions? And the way this was always traditionally done is through people that have this kind of architect gifting, this kind of apostolic ministry. And so that's how Paul uh, was actually advocating, what he was advocating for. And we know that this is also how um, how Paul was trying to enforce these traditions on the churches that he originally planted. And so the final thing we're, we're describing is we need to update the blueprint. And a lot of what we're going to be describing to you guys in the coming videos and lots of the different segments are, are updates potentially to the blueprint. Because if you look around today at churches, every single church that you would go into um, on any given week, if you walk into the church, everyone has, uh, has been... Um, been given uh, an apostolic blueprint, every single one. Uh, the problem is that most of the churches that exist today are following the blueprint of dead apostles. In other words, there's no way to update what the practices that they were and the traditions that they were holding to. And so if over time, because of culture, because of technology, because of lots of things that are shifted, or just because we found flaws in those blueprints, if they need to be updated, it becomes almost impossible. And this is the stuff that church splits are often made of, denominational splits, because there's nowhere to go to really update these blueprints. We don't have any way of figuring out who those apostolic workers are, and we disrespect them. And so there becomes this very unfortunate fight that happens. This is also why in so many churches, when you walk through the door, you see it, you might be experiencing an apostolic blueprint that was actually ideal for, the, um, for America in the 1950s. And, but it's not ideal today. Well, how did that happen? Well, it happened because the apostolic blueprint that was created uh, in that place has probably become obsolete. And this is true uh, if you think about these apostolic workers. Every denomination, usually at the core of that denomination, has an apostolic worker. At the top of my street, I, I can see a Methodist church right as I, um, as I come out of um, our street, Bluegrass. And the Methodists had an apostolic worker who was absolutely brilliant um, and one of the, the greatest uh, apostolic workers of, of America's history, which was John Wesley. John Wesley's uh, idea of Methodism, which is a method for how to really launch and experience the church um, through different circuit riding preachers, was so incredibly effective for his time uh, period of over 200 years ago that, that after uh, around the time John Wesley died, there were more Methodist churches than any other church, any other kind of church in all of America. 
It was such a powerful blueprint. It was brilliant and it worked so good for its age. But of course, John Wesley died. And today, that, that particular denomination really struggles to update their blueprint, just like every other denomination that doesn't have any access to this ministry. So that, that is a big thing to swallow. This is a huge topic. I wanted to give you guys just a, a, a big overview of this uh, idea of the apostolic ministry. What, what we're going to be uh, experiencing going forward and what we're excited to share with you is, is a particular uh, blueprint for how to do various parts of the traditions of church that are designed for where we live today, when we live today, to be faithful to the commands given to the church, to lay that foundation on Jesus Christ. So that, that is what we're working towards, um, but there's going to be constant tweaking. We need to be constantly talking about, as an apostolic team, what are the things and feedback from others that we need to do to update this blueprint so that it's constantly working uh, in, in the best possible way to create those kingdom communities and to fulfill the commands that Jesus and the apostles, the original apostles, uh, gave to the church in the New Testament. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If this teaching stirred something in you and you and your family are sensing any kind of calling or a pool to maybe go down this path in community, we'd love to be a resource to you as you explore this. So if that's you, we want to invite you to join our coaching intensive called A House for Community, where we're going to combine online content and personal coaching for you to provide you with the teaching and the tools and definitely the encouragement that you're going to need to see your home become a house for healthy kingdom relationships. For more information and to apply for this coaching intensive, go to 1kh.org slash community coaching. We'll see you guys for the next episode.